Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Join our hosts as they discuss a wide range of topics and speak with leading cybersecurity, technology, and compliance experts. Now is the time for Secure Talk. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. Secure Talk is brought to you by Adequest, your cybersecurity and compliance partner. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host of this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking with David Duklin from Adequest, and we're going to be talking about MFA, multi factor authentication, uh, conditional access, and what are the differences between those two or how they work together maybe even taking a little look at SSO, and some of the trends and best practices related to those three different items. Uh, but before we get started, uh, David, how are you today? I'm doing great, Mark. Thanks. Good. It's uh, Friday to start a three-day weekend, so I think pretty much everybody's doing great, and the sun is starting <laughs> to come outside, right? Uh, That's correct. Good deal. Hey, um, before we dig into those um, those interesting items, uh, could you tell us a little bit of about yourself and your background and the work you do? Yeah, so like you said, Mark, my name's Dave Duklin, and I am a um, cybersecurity solution architect, and um, I help customers who want to create a uh, security operations center or if they need to have uh, somebody on their team that helps them evaluate uh, IT decisions purely from a security perspective. That's really where uh, my experience is, and that's what I really love to do. And um, that's probably why you and I are going to talk about MFA versus conditional access. Exactly, because one of the things that we're seeing a lot these days is uh, companies are becoming more and more aware of multi-factor authentication, or MFA, which we will use from now on. but there are a lot of questions about when to use it and how to use it. But before we even dig into that, why don't you um, why don't you give a, a just a quick overview of what actually what is MFA, and um, why is it why is it important in your opinion? Yeah, yeah, no, that that's perfect segue. Um, MFA, multi-factor authentication. Um, for those of you that are not aware of what it is, uh, think of the first time that your uh, online bank account made you give them your phone number so they could call you and either text you or voice and verify that it was you that was trying to log in when you're setting up your password. That's multi-factor. You've got one factor being your access to the website with the user ID and password, but you've got another factor being that you own a physical device, whether it be a landline telephone or a cell phone, but you've got this other device, which is another factor for authenticating. So then there are two. And MFA really comes down to there's three pieces, and we need two of those three pieces. One, something you are, which can be biometrics, you have fingerprints, uh, you have retina signatures, uh, there's even voice signatures. Um, But then we also have something that you have, 
and that's going to be your cell phone or that's going to be your uh, laptop computer running Windows 10, hello. Um, and the last piece is something you know. This is where it comes into, yeah, it can be a password, but um, if it's too complex and you know what, you're going to start sharing it and it's going to get lost. Um, so you go with uh, like a six-digit security code because it's something you know. And then people have to figure out which of the uh, three, which of the two of the three are you using. And that's why it's not double-factor authentication or triple-factor authentication. It is simply multi-factor authentication. And I guess the underlying principle is, right, is it, you may lose your password or somebody may um, come across that, find it, steal it from you, whatever. But the likelihood of them being able to have both your password and your cell phone to capture a MFA text, for example, or to have, obviously, some biometric information that matches yours, the likelihood of that is really, really, really low, right? Right. What we're doing in security every day is we're trying to increase the cost to the hacker of hacking you. And all we're doing here is we're raising the bar exponentially. Um, simply sniffing out or uh, going and social profiling, phishing out your password, that's one level of uh, effort, and it really is mostly just patience and some code. Um, but once we get to this, now they have to really get uh, invested in trying to steal your identity and it's all about identity protection. That's what MFA is. It's, there is information protection, but that's not MFA. MFA is protecting your identity. And that happens at work. That happens in personal. That happens every time that you are remotely uh, saying who you are. Yeah, so, so let's talk about some, some best practices related to you know, using MFA. So let's just stick with a basic example where, um, you know, I'm trying to log in. Um, I, I, you know, put in my, my username and my password, and then it will say, um, you know, we're going to text you a message or a code, and then you have to insert that code, right? Um, so that's, that's one type of MFA. Now, would you say that everybody in an organization every time should use MFA? Or what are your ideas around best practices for that. So, so MFA is uh, best used to protect identities during the access and authentication for a purpose. So, um, and this starts to get to the uh, crux of the overall uh, podcast here today is your you probably started out with your bank doing this to you, and then you did it uh, maybe with your cell phone account, and then you've got it with your insurance account, which went online, and you're getting MFA'd from all of these people every time you do something. Um, so that brings up the question, do you really want somebody to uh, challenge your authentication through an MFA means uh, when you're say at home paying bills and you got to check your insurance and you got to check your cell phone usage and check all of this and your phone keeps 
popping up that you got to open it. You got to get that code. You got to type that code in. Then they say yes. And um, pretty soon, what my experience is, people stop doing the best practice of checking. Because they simply go to the one place, pass it once, and here, have all my money. Okay. And let's hope it was all authorized. So what you're, what you're saying is, man. yeah, what you're saying is, is uh, you know, if you force an MFA on every single login uh, for every single type of app or service that you are accessing, it becomes a real pain in the backside, right? It, it's an annoyance. And then that leads people to just sometimes turning it off, which then exposes them to this, the whole point of, 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 the, of the MFA or, or the protective uh, qualities of the MFA, right? So it's kind of like you ha- what you're saying is you, you should have some type of balance between, yes, we want to use this, but if we use it too much and we force it uh, used every single time, people will shut it off. So we have to f- st- kind of find a happy medium. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah. it's uh, Use it when it's appropriate. And um, MFA provides a secure token. Now, this is getting a little bit technical here, but there's something called the public and private key. And the public key resides at your bank or at the doctor's office or, you know, anywhere where you're trying to or even at work. Uh, The private key is what you have on your device. And once you've authenticated that through a secure means, um, an MFA, that token then, that key, is available and it should be able to be persisted and used longer because it authenticates and says who you are. So it's, um, it's around the proper implementation and architecture of the distribution of these keys because you don't need to throw them away. You can reuse them. And, and that's really what uh, get we get down to when we're talking about MFA to make it more user-friendly is to get it less obtrusive. It's always going to be somewhat of a hassle. You know, it's a hassle to unlock my house with the key. Um, But when I'm home and I'm going in and out getting groceries, I don't lock the door every time I I leave, okay? Um, And that's kind of what MFA is. That's an excellent analogy. And um, so let's let's back up a little bit. And let's say you're advising a client. It's a, you know, a mid-sized corporation, maybe a couple thousand employees at a minimum. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're, you know, uh, the rank and file employee says, oh, I don't want to be hassled with this MFA. What is the minimum? What, what is the absolute minimum um, that you would say, you know what, okay, fine, you don't have to use MFA for everybody or every time, but these people in these situations absolutely need to use it. So let's take um, businesses as our primary use case here. And as an employer implementing MFA, the first thing that I'm going to do is say that if you are on a domain joined device, so whether that's uh, using a, a mobile device management application like Intune or whether it's using Active Directory and uh, Windows operating system, um, it's those devices I want to say to start with are going to be more secure, less easy to hack into, less easy to break your identity 
than if I'm at a coffee shop or if I'm on a home computer or, you know, you don't want to leave your credentials around. That's the worst case. So the first thing is simply put up a rule that says I'm going to authenticate anybody trying to access a secure information. So basically coming to my, let's say, OneDrive and SharePoint where I've got uh, corporate uh, confidential information, I want you to have to do a one a second factor authentication if you're not on a domain joined device. Okay. But Go ahead. don't do it every time you touch it. That's the this is the the real secret here. It's not so much limiting what the use case is, but saying now that that device has been authorized through that protocol, I want that token now to go from SharePoint to Exchange, to Word, to Excel. I want all of those to recognize that token because it has been authenticated through the most uh, secure cryptographic methods possible today, and we want to make that available and reduce the experience of it, the friction to the user, which gets them a lot more happy to do it when once every couple of days or every couple of weeks, you get asked for a second factor. Okay, I'll give you that. Okay, so what you're saying is, is you know, pick, pick your battles. And if it's a do- domain joint device, you probably don't need that MFA. Uh, but if you're sitting in Starbucks on your you know, your personal phone or your tablet or whatever, um, you know, it's probably reasonable for the company to say, you know, verify who you are, let's do this MFA. But now that you've done that, we'll give you access to all these, all the apps um, for a set amount of time. You know, maybe it's a three day, every three days you have to um, authenticate again, uh, but it's not going to be every, every day or every time that you log in or every specific app that you access. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yes, and it needs to be um, environment aware. So your phone, though, is is something that uh, could go from when I'm on the corporate network, I'm still not domain joined because I didn't use uh, Intune, and I have to do a multi-factor authentication. But then if I go to a Starbucks and I get on that free Wi-Fi there, I will have to do another uh, authentication but when I'm in my car, I'm not going to have to do another authentication because then I'm just running over a private network, which is the uh, mobile phone provider that I have. So um, there is a little bit that we have to educate the users because it's not going to be as consistent or as simple uh, as what you said that, hey, I do it once and it's going to just leave me alone for three days. Well, yeah, 90% of the time it's going to leave you alone for three days, but there are times when it's not. Gotcha. Well, what about uh, global admins? How would you uh, treat them in the context of MFAs uh, or conditional access? So global admin is a whole other uh, discussion. Um, Let's go look at like the Equifax... uh, Actually, hack that they had. Was it, I, maybe, and, maybe it was, uh, I, in addition to Equifax, I, I know the one that the MFA really played a, um, an important part was Deloitte. Oh, Deloitte, uh, it 
MFA would have 100% stopped it at Deloitte. Um, but what you had at even at Equifax is that you had the administrator um, not following all of the regulations. The the admin IT admins are really good at telling the whole user community, uh, you need to follow the best practice, you need to have good cybersecurity health, and yada, yada, yada. But then when you look at themselves, nah, they're kind of cutting corners everywhere. So given that, um, with the uh, admins, you don't want anyone to be a global admin. That's a role, that's not a person. So when I'm on the system and I need to go in and I need to set up a, um, a whole new virtual network uh, environment in our cloud provider and grant everybody access and yeah, then I'm a global admin because I need to have multiple roles, multiple hats. And so why don't I do that? But another example is I'm going in and I'm going to create a new um, conditional access rule. Well, that's a security administrator. That's not a global administrator. And um, that is not any one person. There are multiple people that can have those roles. So let's create the roles, protect the roles with multiple uh, MFA and then require different individuals to think of it like a library. You're checking out the book. Well, let's check out the role and say, okay, I need to do this stuff. It's gonna take me the next two or three hours. Okay, so I check it out now and I go to work as an administrator. But then when my time runs out or when I say I'm done, it goes away. And um, what that really does is if you are lose your credentials, um, becoming that temporary thing and having a time out, uh, that makes it so the hackers trying to move laterally or to do damage to your environment, they are severely constrained because they can't make that request um, from a third application to check out this role. So, so that so is an MFA, but it's a complex MFA. Right. So basically what you're saying is um, if you if you're in that role, then you should, you know, you should use or enforce MFAs um, in more situations. So use MFA as a protector of the role. But even if you're in that role, you probably don't need to be there 24-7. So elevate your permissions or elevate your role um, just in time or just when you need it for the duration of the time that you need it, uh, and then get back out of there. Because if your password is, is compromised, somebody logs into your account, they, they won't be able to access those security admin or global admin rights. They won't have that access, that level of access, because they won't be able to elevate themselves because they'd be forced to do some type of MFA uh, to, to, to achieve that elevation, right? Correct. Okay. So 
you know, I, it's funny because it, sometimes yeah, I'm, I'm relatively new in this industry. And when I came in, I, I had the impression, you know, maybe because I watched too much TV or HBO or Mr. Robot or whatever, that there was a bunch of super secret sleuthings, uh, sci-fi, James Bond stuff um, that allowed hackers to be successful. But what I found is it's the, the reality is a lot less sexy, um, and it really comes down to basics. And, you know, we, we've talked about this before, that uh, most intrusions start with a phishing campaign or, or comp- uh, compromised uh, credentials, emails, um, uh, and passwords, etc. And the easiest way, the most fundamental way, one of the most fundamental ways, fundamental, better get that word right, ways to protect against that is just using MFA in the appropriate manner um, for the appropriate rules. And if we come back to the case of Deloitte, they, their global admin had turned MFA off for his role, okay? If that would have been on, they would not have hit, made the headlines. It would have been business as usual, right? And it's, it's a really simple, fundamental thing. Um, and it, it, it's, it's common sense but like the saying goes, common sense ain't so common. We have calls all the time with uh, with prospective clients and clients, and that they haven't activated MFA for anybody. And you know, you can make an argument for that one way or the other. But you know, just a couple of days ago, I had a call with a company. They had twelve global admins, and none of them were using MFA. And to me, that's just a, a massive risk. You know, uh, if you have one person. Okay, it's still a risk, but by when you you know times it by twelve, and all of them are not using MFA, it's like it's it's a accident waiting to happen. Yeah, that's uh, it, it's human nature. You need to make it so that it is a low impact experience to turn on multi factor, and unfortunately, too many of the administrators. Um, started out and had to be the guinea pigs when this was a new technology and they turned it on every time they touched um, the domain controller Uh, they had to MFA and then when they went to the uh, ADFS machine they had to MFA and they would sit there at MFA in and out of machines all day long it doesn't take too long before anybody is going to just turn off that function because of course these are admins they can so they turn it off for themselves but leave it for everyone else and figure they're never going to get hacked Uh, yeah famous last words there um so so let me ask you this you know you bring up an interesting point is you want to create a strong impact on security. So you want to you want to create or use a process or a system that is going to dramatically increase security. At the same time, you want to have a low impact on the end user's experience, right? And with MFA, you do have different options. Um, you know, you talked about some of them. Some of the more common ones that we see, um, again, you know, are uh, using an authenticator app, uh, maybe using a text message, having a callback. Uh, what, in your opinion? are the easiest ones for the end user experience to make it easiest to use? Well, the my recommendation to customers that I work with is the first thing they need to set is a standard default that works across the organization, which 
mostly that's going to be text messaging. Um, now, there's going to be people that he can't or won't use their text messaging, and they are an exception, and you downgrade them to voice messaging, um, which is just a phone call, and it's a robo uh, call, so all you have to do is pick it up and say, hello, they... Yep, somebody answered that phone. Okay, good, and it goes back, or you could give them a code. It's many options there, but the text one is the one that works for most people. Now, um, the Authenticator app, you have to register that app, and that's usually something that, as a very first experience, uh, turns off a lot of non-tech people. So what I recommend is to deploy it with text messaging. And then the first time that Sally sees Joe just clicking on this, uh, the fingerprint button on his iPhone to get in and multi-factor, she says, oh, how you do that? Oh, well, I use this app. Oh, how do I do that? Okay then they're willing to sign up for it once they see the value and have experienced a little bit of pain. Um, I've seen a couple of customers, uh, one very recently that went and deployed the Authenticator app to absolutely everybody on the first try because they thought that was gonna be the best thing. And there was um, nearly unanimous revolt <laughs> in the organization. Yeah. So uh, we had to roll it back, and then it's always harder to go back to your users now and say, okay, now we're going to – we even had to rebrand it, and this kind of is to the title of this podcast. Um, we said, nope, we're not doing MFA. We're doing conditional access now. Which brings up my next question. Is there a difference between the two? Uh, how are they related? And Yeah. Multi-factor app. Authentication is one piece of a conditional access environment. Conditional access is not authentication, it's access. And it, without getting into security details and boring everybody, um, in the security world, there's a big difference between access and authentication. So access is under this conditions, if you have this, then do that. Very, very simple logic. Give, give, now, me, give me an example. So conditional access is if you are on a web browser that is not patched, then accessing the HR uh application portal, the SAS application portal, um, we are going to require you to use multi-factor authentication. Or if you are on a uh, compromised PC, so we know that it's been infected with uh, some virus, now when you want to access that uh, SAS application in the browser, we deny it. It's not an MFA, it's a deny. That's conditional access, is just checking the conditions and determining what's the bar for access 
which gets passed down to the authentication side. And that's when there's the multi-factor authentication, maybe because I'm uh, at a coffee shop and trying to access the corporate finances, where if I'm in the office, on the network, on a domain-joined machine, um, you don't need to prompt me for multi-factor authentication when I'm trying to just do my job. So basically, it looks at the conditions of your login. And for example, uh, and you tell me if this is correct or not, but you know, I, I log in now um, and I log off. Five minutes later, I log in from the other side of the planet. And they say, you know what, that's probably pretty difficult to do. So under that condition, under that impossible travel scenario, we're going to force an MFA or we're going to lock you out of your account. Uh, and if they lock you out of your account, that's not an F MFA at all. You're just locked. But the reason that I, I was locked is because of the condition of this impossible travel. Does that, does that make sense? Is that Exactly. Okay. That's conditional access. And um, with your scenario, I'll tell you that Facebook and LinkedIn are two that are going to lock you out of your account um, anytime there's impossible travel. So if you're sitting on your couch in uh, Seattle, Washington, and somebody accesses your Facebook or LinkedIn account from Corpus Christi, Texas, uh, within five minutes, they are going to lock you out, and then they will try to contact you and go through a multi-factor authentication to verify who you are and require you to reset your password and move forward. So that is conditional access with a response of a block, but then also a later use of a multi-factor authentication to verify that they're actually talking to the right person uh, so that they can rectify the situation. Otherwise, they're going to leave you locked out because both of them have been uh, way, way too um, vulnerable to hacks in the past and they don't want to get in the news any more than anybody else. So they're going to take the approach of locking you first with that condition and then multi-factor to authenticate, to ver verify who you are. Because do you really know Facebook? No. Does Facebook know you? Not really. Right. Those are very good uh, good examples there. I, uh, I, I'm, wonder I'm thinking that, you know, we talk about all these different scenarios of, of when to use MFA. And then when you get into conditional access, it seems like the potential number of scenarios just um, increases exponentially. Uh, how does a company or an organization kind of go through and make all these decisions? If this is the situation, we're going to do that. Um, and, you know, how do they even, is there a template of specific situations that they have to follow? Or can they, can they create their own custom situations for conditions? How does that all work? What's that process like? So the um, security vendors do not give you a standard templates to deploy a conditional access. Now, that said, every vendor does have on their website, here are some sample scenarios, um, and you should use that and to get started. You will evolve it over time and make it 
more complex, more appropriate for your environment. But what I tell people is that we're really talking about getting MFA into your corporate culture. You want people to not be uh, confused by this, afraid of it, or have any negative feelings towards multi-factor authentication because it is a necessary piece of my conditional access uh, scheme. So uh, don't deploy MFA by user and then attach it to applications. That's unfortunately what um, the low-hanging fruit is, and a lot of people will jump to that. So uh, you go into Office 365, turn it on for myself, and set that anytime I access an Office application, uh, I'm going to get multi-factor authenticated. Wow, sounds great. I'm going to be all secure. Um, but what happens is every time I open Outlook and open Excel and PowerPoint and go to OneDrive and SharePoint and Skype. Okay, you get the right. message. Uh, it's going to be painful and you don't want to do it. Um, rolling it out with conditional access means that what I'm going to do is I'm going to check the conditions. I'm not saying that you, Mark, you have to do multi-factor authentication. I'm going to say that any employee of a certain group, because, you know, we can do that. So we'll say all salespeople who are accessing uh, corporate trade secrets from more than 50 miles from either their home or their office will have to have multi-factor authentication. Where your HR people, they have to get it when they're accessing it from their home PC. What you do is you get enough scenarios out there and people over time will get registered and get used to this experience of a multi-factor authentication then it becomes a tool for you in your conditional access as opposed to trying to be the solution. It's not a solution. It is only a tool in the solution of giving people authenticated access. Excellent, excellent. So uh, how does a company come up with all these different scenarios? Is this like the, um, I, I would assume that typically it's not just one individual, right? Um, is it um, you usually have a committee that will work on this or is it some of the, you know, the security team? What do you, what do you see? So what I see is um, IT departments think it's up to them and they'll get it all together. And unfortunately, I mean, I've been in IT. Um, I know that uh, they will think that they're doing everything in the, customer's best interest. But uh, in security, we look at things a little differently, that it's really a business decision. So what I have the luxury of is sitting down with IT, and they give me all their ideas of what they think are going to be the ne next newest and greatest um, set of policies. And then I write those up into English, 
and run them by the business leaders because the business leaders are the ones that really own the access controls to the data. And that's really what we're trying to control access to. We're not controlling access to a network, whether you can put information on my the wires in my network, that is really not all that important. What's important is getting access to the information. That's why people hack and break into your system. So um, let's go back to the business users and tell them, here's, here's what, what it's going to cost in usability. Here's what it's going to cost in money. Here's what it's going to cost in time. And uh, here's what you're going to protect. Is that worth it? And let the business decision, let it become a business decision what uh, policies you're going to roll out and then do it in a phased approach. Um, Big Bang only worked for the universe. It doesn't work for uh, anything in our normal daily lives. I don't care if it's <laughs> a Big Bang approach to changing your HR policies at, at work or um, coming up with a Big Bang approach to uh, changing the travel infrastructure in your city. You know, right. so, these are not big pang. These are all evolutions. So take a phased approach, uh, get feedback, implement a little bit more, get more feedback, and then and then work with that. Um, yeah, because you know you might you might have this great uh, theoretical implementation plan, and then you take it over to the sales uh, team, and they like, are you crazy? We can't MFA or every single scenario that you've uh, outlined there, or you know you're blocking access because of uh, from our home. Well, we work 60% of the time from home, so this is just ridiculous, right? So you gotta you gotta check in with the business owners uh, before you implement, and then, and like you said, roll it out in a phased approach. Um, you did mention, and we're kind of running out of time here, but I, I do have one, one last question. You mentioned costs for a second, you know, and you have to check the costs. Well, if if a company's already using Office 365 and they want to implement uh, some type of MFA uh, program, are there extra costs? MFA doesn't really have an extra cost um, unless you have an international service that you need to sign up for or something like that. Um, or if you want to use a hardware token, that would be an extra cost. But that's really uh, rare and the people that need it just pretty much understand it. When I'm talking about cost, it's really the conditional access um, because MFA, as I really like to point out is not the solution it's a tool in the solution so um, when you're going for conditional access to be able to check conditions I say that a good uh, use case to start with is just to check and see if a device is domain joined yeah that works because you've already got your uh, Windows operating system and it's got a domain join from your uh, network connections. Um, that doesn't cost anything extra. But when I start to do uh, application-based security or I want to do um, uh, device condition-based security. I want to do risk analysis. Uh, these are all services that you would need to sign up for. Um, 
it's it's much more cost effective to subscribe to these services than it is to rebuild them yourself from scratch. So uh, there are costs in making acquiring the ability to uh, surface the conditions for your conditional access. That's where the cost may come into play. Okay, so there there could be some cost. MFA, it might. It, if you run an Office 365, it, you can just turn it on. Uh, again, you need to decide the the conditions when it can be turned on, and if you want to be able to expand to you know the all the types of different conditions we spoke about before, you may have to invest some additional money. Um, trying to think, last question there. You actually, you know, as you're talking, I had a bunch of more questions pop into my mind, but let me just get your parting thoughts on this. Best practices for passwords, and do you think we're going to ever get to passwordless? Okay, good, good questions. Um, my personal feelings are that um, let's take it in reverse order. Yeah, we are going to get to a passwordless environment. Um, biometrics will really come into becoming the it'll it'll become the way people access systems um, and that will be passwordless uh, but that's not in the next year two years probably not even the next five years for it to be pervasive so we're gonna have to live with passwords and I have always been a believer that a passphrase not a password is the best password and it is not something that um, if you want to just use alphanumeric characters then make sure it doesn't make any sense the blue leaf swims quickly okay you can remember that or you know part of a poem or something like that something that is not that's a normal not, that's not a phrase that's not a very good poem by the way but uh, but i'm going with you no, <laughs> no i'm just saying it, it needs to be illogical right and and if you can't be illogical yourself then be creative and pull something out of a poem right that's that's kind of where i was going with it but ideally um it you would throw in some um special characters and misspell a few things and have your own special phrase and you won't need to write that down so the idea You'll, is is something that's easy for you to remember but is very illogical uh, and it's not something that people are going to guess at i mean we, we've seen the number the statistics or the reports that say you know i mean the most common password is something like one two three four five right um and things like my password or spring 2018 uh, because people think oh i'm being kind of clever here and nobody but that's not clever at all right so um but come up with something that is unique to you, easy for you to remember, um, so you don't forget it. You, so you also so you don't have to write it down, right? Because if you write it down, mm -hmm. that's a that's an opportunity to lose it. So, yeah, makes sense to me. Well, and if you have to change it a lot, what people will come up with is you know some amazing password and then that they've gotten used to it now they have to change it 60 70 90 days later um, they're gonna put a one after it and then a two right. and then a three 
And um, because the password is something that was given to them, um, it and we did have times in the past when passwords were passed over open text, your passwords can get hacked. Um, and if you use a scheme of always just adding a number to it, um, that's a, something that a computer can do in a fraction of a millisecond. So uh, you're, you're really not being all that tricky. Much better to have something that is going to be about 15 to 20 characters long. It's going to be illogical if spoken. And if read, it's not going to be able to be uh, read by a machine. Totally makes sense. Well, hey, David, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk with us today about MFA conditional access. Uh, we touched a little bit on SSO, even though we didn't really call it that. Um, and then, you know, ba basic uh, password hygiene. It's uh, very interesting, helpful, uh, and look forward to talking to you next time. Hey, thank you very much. Have a great three-day weekend and see you next week, all right? You too. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Cheers, everybody. Bye. Hello. Welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Join our hosts as they discuss a wide range of topics and speak with leading cybersecurity, technology, and compliance experts. Now is the time for Secure Talk.